Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Shiro podcast on Colin. I hope your Friday's going well. Mine's going okay. Yesterday, I had kind of a meltdown with the state of things, but I think that's kind of normal. I think everybody's having those occasionally. So I kind of want to discuss that too, like the whole burnout from <clears throat> just dealing with constantly trying to get justice legally for all of these people who seem to be you know, born to evade justice. So that's a whole nother topic, but we're going to discuss that too at the end of the show. Um, so I see it's a couple of you are here. Hi to everybody. I hope that people are ready to call in and talk to me and ask some questions today. We're going to be talking about uh, Rudy Giuliani <clears throat> because this week it's just the stuff that we found out about. It, it's too... If it weren't so sad, it would be comical. And it's still comical despite how sad it is. So I don't know. But we now know that um, thanks to the records that were turned over to the National Archives from Trump, the ones that were turned over and ripped up and pieced back together by the National Archives, we know that the Trump campaign created an entire... um, way of trying to go after key swing states after the election and claim the election was, you know, not correct. There were things wrong with it and these swing states that they needed to win. And since those documents have been turned over, (laughs) we now have information about how extensive that was. Um, Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis, both of whom are, are being Um, investigated and brought up on other charges that relate to other things. But they went into all of these different swing states. And I want to say there there are seven or eight of them. They involve Arizona, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, and a few others that I don't know off the top of my head. But the biggest part here is that to this this last couple of days, um, a prosecutor from Michigan came forward and said that Following the election, Rudy Giuliani came to him and said that the count was wrong and that he needed to take all of the election equipment. And of course, the prosecutor said back to him, you know, we're prosecutors. We don't do that. We can't just go, hey, give me it. We don't seize um, electronic voting machines without probable cause. Now, that's really funny to me. Um, Lawyer humor is sad. But also given the fact that Rudy Giuliani was not only a federal prosecutor, but he was the attorney general for the United for the United States in the eighties, and then the attorney general for New York. So, I mean, again, here we are laughing till we cry. But luckily, he didn't. The Michigan prosecutor didn't turn those over, um, and he sort of laughed it off to Giuliani. But the fact that Giuliani would be so brazen and go in and say, "Hey, give them to me," and the fact that the Wisconsin prosecutor is now saying that this happened, I mean, I. I don't know this for a fact, but I I would almost guarantee you that the campaign went into all of these swing states and made similar demands um, to give them voting equipment. And those people who were responsible for saying, no, we're not going to do that, they they just aren't talking to the press at this point. And another uh, interesting fact with this whole thing is that we, we now know that Trump left the White House with top secret documents, documents that involved clearance. He labeled some of them top secret. He took them to Mar-a-Lago, which is in violation of the Presidential Records Act. And he just, he's holding on to them down there at his Florida fort, just chilling with the private documents illegally. Um, 
Omarosa has also written a book that says that Trump has eaten documents, that she's seen him eat a document that pertained to Michael Cohen right in front of her. And this is also coinciding with lots of information from the White House and them saying that there were plumbing problems. I, I don't even want to get into it. It's so bad. But it's like another day, another disaster. And it's hitting levels that I just didn't even think we could hit, not even with Trump. So that's kind of scary. Um, okay, it looks like I have a caller. So I'm going to take this. This is Mateo. Um, I'm going to invite him to speak. Howdy, Amy. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you? Thanks for calling. Good. Having a beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest. It's nice and oh, sunny. Oh, I love despite, it. Uh, tell me more. Just, tell me more. Despite the chill. Uh, well, I, you know, <laughs> if I did tell you more, I'd, that I'd start complaining about developers ruining it like everywhere else that real estate. Oh, right. Close to, right. Are you on the coast? Pretty close to it. Pretty close to nice. it. I mean, uh, so, you know, as I studied, I, I've been following Rudy for a while. I remember noticing that he flew to Kharkiv to see that uh, mafia mayor that, that died, uh, Kernis, Kennis, some, his name, something like that. Kharkiv, okay. of course, is like, Kharkiv might be invaded, of course, in a few days. Uh, right. It's, a, it's kind of the hotspot of the hotspots. But here's the thing I don't really get in terms of like what, let's say Garland is like the most honest, like, you know, straight arrow, you know, guy imaginable. Sure. Genuinely sure. clean. How do you clean up the SDNY mess when it's pretty obvious that when Trump was bragging to Erdogan, don't worry about the Hawk Bank stuff. Don't worry about the whole Iran laundering case that was a big deal, you know, that had mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of complex connections to uh, yep. to a lot of gross characters, a lot of a lot of gross characters that have Brian Ballard on retainer at the time. Right. In terms of the Turks kind of pushing millions and millions of dollars through the Florida mafia through Brian Ballard. Right. 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 What, right. what, what I don't really understand is how I mean, you know, the whole Greenberg case, because he really did like 10 crime waves in one. And that kind of goes against the DeSantis kind of airport stuff in Orlando and the Brian Ballard stuff. That gives the feds a possibility of going all the way into like the Brian Ballard level as they bust that stuff up this year. But how do you really deal with the fact that like when Trump bragged that SDNY was captive, that he had it under control, he wasn't bragging. Mighty, mighty SDNY. Right. And that and that and that particular point when he was bragging to Erdogan genuinely was genuinely was controlled. By whatever Kirkland Ellis, Bill Barr mafia that Trump, you know, was renting at the time. So right. I really I don't know you. how you how you how you clean that up without like just without really damaging SDNY's reputation. That's a really good question. It has a lot of separate points to it. Um, so yeah, because how many years are we going to have to go back and and root through what they've been doing and how many compromises they've made and how many different administrations is that going to implicate both Democratic and Republican? Right. Exactly. I guess and that, as, that gets to meant- the bottom of it. Exactly. And as they met, you know, and as, as they said, as Acosta said, when somebody asked Acosta about the Epstein settlement, and this absolutely goes with the Kirkland Ellis machine that infested the entirety of SDNY and, you know, is kind of foundational to the current Florida GOP mafia. Um, Acosta said the settlement in 2008 with Epstein, there was a Kirkland Ellis settlement that he helped with, that, that uh, Brett Kavanaugh probably helped with, too. You know, I, I would speculate. He was in the DOJ. We don't know about that. We know Acosta oversaw it, and we know. But we all, we also know, we also know, uh, horrible, abusive, uh, uh, obviously compromised uh, Judge uh, Anthony Trango was appointed, kind of as a midnight appointment in two thousand eight. Okay, so what's the question? 
What's the question? Anyway, you know, it's it, that that goes all the it really does go that far back. It goes back to the settlement in 2008 and it goes back to the fact that Acosta, when he said three presidential administrations in a row have approved that settlement and called it law. And, you right. know, when they when when Ghislaine was up uh, or Ghislaine, whatever, however you pronounce her name, when she was up, they did not really unravel the 2008 settlement whenever they decided to deal with her. You know, OK, now we've I, gone I into. We've now gone into a whole different area. So we've got a lot of different topics here. So the question is, how far back is this going to go? And how do we make sure it's done? And how do we make sure it's done by an impartial party who's not loyal to protecting sort of the secrecy of, of the prosecutorial system in general? So I, I don't have any reason. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing with Barr. Here's the reason why I'm not too worried about how far back this thing goes with regard to it being bad. Now you can look at the prosecute uh, DAs are run by, by different people each time. And each time they have a different agenda and people love to say, okay, this one's dirty because they make deals. The bottom line is they all make deals. We know this. They all make deals with people who, who are higher up, who need this, who need that. The more money, the more power you have, typically the more leverage you have on the whole, they're not supposed to clearly the Epstein situation it had there was a lot of power there there was a lot of power on all sides politically and that was bad across the board who who, who could be implicated past acosta is another question but with regard to garland and what's happening now this is why i still have faith in it a little bit garland is keeping his mouth shut and that's bothering a lot of people because he's not talking about it he's not saying oh we're doing this we're doing that keep in mind you can't do that you can't even um, confirm that there's a federal investigation going on. If there is, that's illegal. So it's good he's keeping his mouth shut. It's good as he's keeping his nose down. I'm assuming he's doing his job and investigating. The other thing is, I would have told you before this stuff about Bill Barr, like say circa 2017, I would have told you as bad as Bill Barr was, he wasn't somebody who would support Trump in all of these super crazy things. Like he was out there, but he wasn't that that out there. And I have since realized, and this was shocking to me as a legal professional, how absolutely far Barr went out there to cover up things and how absolutely, in my opinion, illegal some of those things were. And he justified it. He justified it every time. He did unethical things. He did things that were bordering on illegal. He was just, he was so far beyond the pale. It, it, it was insane. And this is somebody who worked for Bush, you know, somebody who I wouldn't have just assumed was the first Bush. Wouldn't have necessarily assumed was like Trump in terms of the illegalities. But he just, he lost his mind, just like Giuliani. I mean, let's look at Giuliani in the 80s. We would have never guessed Giuliani was this crazy back in the day. But we've since learned because thanks to Trump, he absolutely is. So I think the fact that Barr was so out there and so willing to do things and so in control, do I think that Trump's you know, statement that he was in control of it was just rhetoric. No, I think he, I think one, he didn't know, he doesn't know what he can do. He just thinks he can do everything. So I think he absolutely believed he was in control of it. And two, I think he was, I think he was pulling every string he could and firing any person he could that said no to him. And we need to start picking that apart and see how truly far back that goes. I think your first question was involving, you know, how are we going to look at investigating the SDNY and then investigating Trump? I, I don't know. In my mind, I think we had a we had a federal versus um, a state jurisdiction issue that I wanted to talk about, but I can't. I, I think when we when we look at Barr, uh, it's, you know, Barr, Giuliani, Costello, Manafort, Roger Stone, 
Costello mm-hmm. was uh, the, the lawyer uh, who's currently under fire uh, for trying to help with a cover up in January 6th right now. And, you know, long term SDNY insider uh, mafia figure. All these figures go I, way Honestly, back. I don't know what I don't know what you're referring to exactly. Like I'm, I'm referring not... to Costello. Costello is, a, is an attorney who's currently uh, under fire for uh, I think he's technically Steve Bannon's attorney right now. But, you okay. know, and all, it almost doesn't matter. You and know, under fire, you know, like, I don't know who exactly is investigating him. I don't know exactly how far that's gone at this point. I don't know any of those and, things. So I anyways, my point, though, my point is that, like, you know, between McCasey, Costello, Giuliani, Barr, the whole kind of tinfoil conspiracy angle where that entire network that that Barr was very much a part of, along with his father, way back in 1974, he was kind yeah. of a... CIA, CIA volunteer, uh, black bag, you know, kid lawyer for them way back then. It's really easy to buy the theory that Giuliani was basically targeting the five families and packaging them to move them out for the Russian mob. And we know that, that Bogatine was uh, a defendant that was caught moving money through Trump real estate way back in 1983. And so you know what I'm going to say to you? Yeah. And I'm going to say to you at this point, <clears throat> at this point, given everything we've seen and what's happened so far, anything is possible, Matteo. I absolutely yeah. wouldn't put that past anybody. I think that Giuliani has been in control of that jurisdiction for a long time. And not only has he been in control, he's known the ins and outs, and he's been able to know who to leverage and who to work. So, yeah, I have no doubt that they've been laundering all kinds of money through there. The question is whether or not we're going to get somebody who has the capability to go deep enough to really uncover it and is willing to do that because it's not going to implement people that that have say over them. But these are some really good questions, Mateo. Thank you so much for calling. Okay. Okay. Can everybody hear me now? Okay, great. Um, so I was a little worried there. Sorry about that. Sorry, everybody. Still working on, still working on figuring all the ins and outs of this. Thanks again, Mateo. Great questions. Um, great topics. And I'm just going to repeat what I said when I was accidentally on mute, which is that I think that given what we know now about how extensive Giuliani has been and how long he has had his fingers in the pie, so to say, trying to find out how far into these local municipalities and states their their um, power goes is it's going to take somebody with substantial, um, not just power, but the willingness to kind of uncover things that are going to be unpleasant for, for both sides. I mean, I'm sure that we're going to find people from the Democratic side that allowed things to happen because you know, power moves were made back and forth. But just the fact that Rudy Giuliani continues to go into these legal situations and act so outrageously and illegally says a lot about how he just knows that he's insulated and he's covered and he doesn't seem to be worried about anything. And it's not just the Rudy Giuliani's, it's the Acostas. It's the it's the everybody at all the local levels who were under Trump 
who did his bidding. And again, I was telling Mateo this, I wouldn't have thought Bill Barr would have been one of those people. He was way too, you know, mainstream before I would have considered him that. But so was Giuliani. And it's easy to just say, oh, they seem like they lost their minds. But I don't know, the more frightening thing that I think Mateo was hinting at is, have they always been this way? And did we just not see it? I don't know. These are really fascinating questions. Does If anybody else has another question or wants to talk about something, that'd be great. Because otherwise, I'm going to talk about the other thing, which is just crazy, which is uh, Rudy Giuliani, apparently. Um, we were all wondering why he had been so quiet on Twitter for a while, because, you know, we knew he was being sued, but that hasn't shut up, you know, Alan Dershowitz or Giuliani or any of these other people kept them from going on television. But Giuliani was doing the Masked Singer, uh, which is reality television show, which is like a performance where they all wear these crazy costumes and they sing. And then the panel has to try to guess who's singing along with America. And it's supposed to be really great. I personally find the show a little creepy because the costumes are really really weird and the whole thing is strange but and i don't like singing competitions either they make me super stressed out but apparently the theme of this whole masked competition thing was um like cuddly animals i guess they have a theme around them so and it's like the good the bad and the cuddly that was what i because i was trying to figure out what kind of animal would rudy giuliani be you know what kind of costume are they going to stick this this oaf in what is it going to be and the good and the bad and the cuddly I mean, my God, we know he's the bad, but I, so the question is, you know, what, what kind of animal are they going to make Rudy Giuliani? Cause pigs aren't cuddly, you know, javelina aren't cuddly. I was trying to think of all of the different kinds of animals he could be. If you want to talk to me about that, you can call in too. <laughs> um, the other thing I sort of want to discuss to discuss this week was something that I was experiencing that I'm sure a lot of you are also experiencing, which is. Just sort of burnout and fatigue from the slowness of the process, which, you know, I've, I've spoken about before on Twitter about how, you know, the, the process for the legal process and the process for democracy, they're, they're meant to be slow. They're meant to be methodical. They have to be done step by step. But for a lot of people, especially people who aren't familiar with that, that can be really draining. Um, I'm going to take another caller here. Okay, this is Olivia. Okay, Olivia, you're on. Hi, Amy. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. So I just, the, the I'm going back a little bit because I'm still not over Rudy Giuliani being on The Masked Singer. Okay. What okay, I okay. really want to know is like who, like what producer, like who in like the casting department of like figuring out, it's like, okay, like <laughs> season whatever of The Masked Singer, who sat there and was like, you know who would be great for this show? Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani. And then, and then brought it to his <laughs> agent or whomever. Right. Who then was like, also like, yeah, this is a great idea. Like, I just want, like, I don't really have anything substantial to say. Other than just like, <laughs> I wish that I were just like a fly on the wall in all of those conversations. Well, I think I have an answer to the... your question. Because I think okay, it please, actually is me. a really good question, which is like, how do, how do these shows work? How... How does politics work from the Hollywood aspect? You know, the people who are mm -hmm. selling politics, they aren't just like out there authentically doing it to make things better, but they know that it has a really, you know, it has a big public support system. So they want to sell it to people. And I think it's the same people that like didn't last season, they booked Sarah Palin yep, for the same did. gig, right? Yeah. And then they tried, didn't they try to book Kellyanne Conway's kid on one of these shows too? 
Um, oh, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. What's her name? Like really, Oliver. <sighs> yeah, because was she was it, doing those Claudia? TikToks. Yeah, Claudia. Yeah. That's right. Okay, Claudia. yeah, yeah, yeah. She was doing those, and again, she's a minor, so I'm not going to make it as much about Claudia, but um, she mm-hmm. was doing those TikToks in which she was just really going after her parents, and the yeah. communities were like, my mom just texted me that um, it was American Idol that Claudia Conway was on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Thanks, Mom um, Vanderpool. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, so, yeah, it was she was doing these TikToks and they realized, wow, this, this kid's got star potential because nobody, I was sitting here going, this can't be real. Like it, it's my mm-hmm. opinion that Kellyanne Conway and, and George Conway were staging this whole fight from the beginning, because if they did that, then they would make sure that they could grift on either side because all of a sudden these Democrats are flocking to George Conway and saying, Oh, you're so great. And giving him money with the Lincoln project. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the ones on the right are like Love and Kelly, and they're taken from both sides. And if there's a huge dip in either one where one party loses, they still got their money flow. You know, it's it's yeah. just a grift. That's my opinion on how they're running that. So they clearly decided to get their kid on on the whole thing. And the fact that, and here's the worst part, let's say, devil's advocate, that Claudia Conway is this great singer. I, I haven't heard her, so I don't know. Maybe she's fantastic. But mm-hmm. she's this great singer, and she's got a true voice of an angel. And this is really her moment, her break it moment, right? Like, who who decides that they should, like, hey, Kellyanne Conway is fighting with her kids, or Kellyanne Conway is fighting with her kid like every mom in America. So let's mm-hmm. go take advantage of the moment and make yeah. the teenager famous. And, hey, maybe she'll slip up during the interviews, that, you know, and when we're asking her how she is and she'll say something salacious. Like, it's just, uh, it's crazy to me. So I think yeah. there's a whole industry because, I mean, I unfortunately, I'm going to admit this. I watch Celebrity Big Brother. And... <laughs> They, I know. Well, they had Omarosa and Scaramucci and all those people. It was like they thought that they were actually going to get details on Trump and and some of his people. But you know that it's all calculated from all of them. They know exactly how much they're going to spill. They know exactly how much they're going to save for their book that they still have to sell. Mm -hmm. And they know, you know, how it's so calculated and it just, it blows my, there's just this political industry of entertainment now because politics yeah. is the new sports, right? Yep. Yeah. So I think those are the same people that booked them. I think there's a whole industry for political booking and stuff now. And I think it's a, it's pretty formulaic because Sarah, I, I think it's interesting though, to me that like, you know how they were saying with Rudy, um, that, that Ken Jong is that his last name? Ken, Ken mm-hmm. Jong, the yep. really funny guy that was in hangover. And um, there's one other guy on the panel. I can't remember Robin who, but they Thicke. got a who? Oh, Robin, Robin Thicke. Thicke. Oh my god, yeah, he was almost me too, right? For that song, Blurred Lines. Yeah, I think like he definitely. I just actually finished Emily Ratajkowski's book, which highly oh, recommends. But so he's he's a whole other story. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so talk about his blurred lines. So yeah. Robin Thicke decides he's not going to have bur- blurred lines for a second. He gets up and he walks off too, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, you guys. You had to know they were bringing, it has to be staged. They had to know they were bringing it to them again. They brought in Sarah Palin before, you know, it's just, it's a shtick that works. And everybody yeah. wants to, it's like the Democrats want to see the panelists get outraged and walk away. And they also kind of want to see Rudy Giuliani fall on his face, mm-hmm. which I, I wouldn't mind seeing how, just how bad it goes. Cause he's willing to do anything. And the other thing is why would Rudy Giuliani do something like this? Well, he's got a lot of legal bills, so I think he's got to make some true some fast quick coin, right? Yeah, I mean and I, I mean, don't know how much these how much it. Yeah. 
I don't know how much these people pay and everything. So like, right. It's working, I guess. Right. And is he going to get another deal off the back of that? And then how much do these shows pay? Do they really pay that much? That would be something you should check into. Like you should check with your connects and see, because I would be interested to know, like how much does a person like Sarah Palin or Rudy Giuliani at their height of their despicableness get when they're offered a slot on the masked singer, you know? Honestly, I'll do some stalking. I'll do would some you please? stalking. Yeah, because I would I've, like to I've, I've got you. I'll <laughs> what animal do you think Rudy Giuliani is going to be? <laughs> oh, God. Well, it's a mass singer, too. It's hard because they sometimes go with these like monster. Like it's not always like a real animal. Like they get some mythology and monsters. Right. And there was like a dragon serpent at some point. So really just like. The possibilities are endless. I know. know? And whoever's doing their costume design is just killing it because those costumes are so creepy yet so alluring that you kind of want to look because they're so good. It's so, honestly, I have to tell you, this is like one of my like confessions. I watched the entirety of the first season. Okay. Heads up for listeners. (laughs) I'm going to spoil the first season of Mass Singer. I hope that's okay for everyone. If you haven't watched it and want to block your ears now. I haven't watched it, but I'm ready to be spoiled on it. Go ahead. Okay. So the first season, it was like this crazy thing that I was watching with my college roommate and the winner ended up being he he was in like a giant monster costume and just like an amazing singer like so good and it ended up up being t-pain and amy i cried (laughs) when t-pain won the mass singer i kid you not he revealed himself and was like you know like people think i can't sing because i rap and i use auto-tune so isn't he the guy that like isn't he the guy that does the songs where he's always like oh yeah and stuff yeah (laughs) yeah and it's just how he expresses himself artistically yeah so I cried so all of this is to say I'm like very invested like embarrassingly so in the masked singer so we're talking about it looking into this here we are talking about it you know and I would like to think that I'm kind of an academic and I'm talking about the masked singer so and I might tune in I might watch it now I'm kind of curious I want to see I mean it's fun to guess. It's a good, it's a good guessing game, you know, a good, like, let's place bets. Who do you think it is? Cause they give out <laughs> clues too. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like clue, like murder mystery, but like I love that. celebrities dressed in I love ridiculous that. costumes. So, I love that. you know, this is my plug to watch The Masked Singer. <laughs> awesome. Watch The Masked Singer because Olivia and I are going to stay up on it throughout this entire thing. <laughs> yep. And, and tune back in for updates on how much people get paid for Masked Singer. Yes. That's, on the top of my to-do list (laughs) exactly (laughs) okay thank you for calling in doll certainly see you later okay bye so the last thing i want to talk about is um i started you know again so i keep going back to this but it's important this burnout thing this frustration with it's not going to get anywhere these people like trump and giuliani and Barr, like they've never been held accountable they've always had power they've always known the limits of their power and it's just never going to happen I was just having a bad day. It is going to happen. Things are going to, I mean, I think we need substantial reform with our laws. Clearly what Trump has shown us is that we need to tighten up our situation because um, people, white men can get away with anything. I think that's the lesson of it. And we clearly aren't doing that because we don't have a strong enough majority yet in Congress, but that's a whole nother show. My point is, is that it can get really defeatist and it can get frustrating and you can think, 
nothing's ever going to happen. But, you know, somebody reminded me, no, we're going to have hearings in April. Hopefully they'll be public. Hopefully they'll be televised. Hopefully people will be subpoenaed and asses will be in the chair. And, you know, there, there's an ongoing situation with Letitia, Letitia James in, um, in New York, and she's going after Trump. I mean, it's going to happen. There's a million different ways that this guy can be brought down. So things are moving. They're just moving very slowly. And I think it's also the pandemic and just the last few years, everybody's had everybody so tired. So in keeping with that, I thought, you know what we need to do? We need to start a book club because that can be regenerative. And this recent thing that people on the right are trying to do by banning books, um, it's so alarming. It's so concerning. And Corey, I see you. And I hope you can call in right now and talk to me for a quick sec because you're my little expert librarian authority on this. But my cousin is um, a teacher and a librarian. And I wanted to talk with her about this. But I thought what a good way to like, kind of keep us all united, keep keep our heads in the right place, give us something to tune out with that's productive and that's educational. Okay, Corey texted me. She can't call right now because she's at work. Meh. Okay. That's okay, Corey. We totally understand. <laughs> but I'll talk to you soon in book club. Anyway, so I'm going to start a book club, a banned book club. And um, we're just going to start reading all of these books that the right has decided are too provocative for the public and for our kids to be reading. You know, most of most of these books tend to deal with race or gender or sexuality. And I'm sorry, but I think this is important. I lived for my V.C. Andrews Flower in the Attic flowers in the attic. And, you know, if my mom had known what I was reading at the time, she would have freaked out. So it's important. I think about kids, especially that are in schools that are, you know, that are gay or questioning or, or they're just different or they don't know, they don't know what gender they are. They don't know who they love or they don't know what they want to be. Just these typical things. But times 10, I think about those kids and how reading books with people that they identify with directly that can help them sort that out. That may be the only thing they have access to that gives them that perspective. And they really need that. That's a lifeline. So books are, it's not just about fun and reading and culture and learning. It's sometimes it's about life and death. And so this is one way we can counteract that. So we are starting this week with Beloved, one of my all-time favorite books. It will shake you to the core. You will be shooketh. You will be You'll be a little like freaked for a while. You'll just be walking around in a daze going, what did I just read? Uh, oh my God, that was art. I'm scared. I'm full of joy. I'm proud to be a woman. I don't even know what I just read. It's one of the best books you will ever read. If you've read it, read it again with us. And I think the reason this is going to be great is that I I think we're going to go on a, like a two-week schedule of talking about it, but that'll give everybody time to really just read it at their leisure, fall behind if they want to, talk about it as much as they want to. You know, you can give your input at my newsletter, shiro.substack.com. In the comments there, it's free. There's no paywall. You can talk about it there with everybody. And then I think we'll do a podcast on it too so that people can call in and talk about what they really liked and, and how they're, maybe we'll relay it to what we're going through now. Maybe the next book I'll pick will be a little more political, like Fahrenheit 451 or something. I don't know. I haven't decided, but I think it's going to be a great way for us to just unwind, relax, but still stay sharp and still stay focused and not, it's like we're still fighting them by, by keeping these books going, but we haven't given up, but we're just like, we're resting. We're lying in wait, kind of getting ready for our day. So 
I hope that'll be really um, inspiring for you guys. I know it will be for me. Um, happy Valentine's Day to everybody out there. I'll be talking to you next Friday. I'll be in Arizona, so I'll be broadcasting from there. I might be broadcasting from my mom's surgeon's office. <laughs> she has surgery on Friday, but you know the show goes on, so we'll just do it. Um, and um, <laughs> my mom just texted me again that we're biding our time, so she's feeding me my lines now. God. Anyway, um, it's been great talking with you this week. I hope everybody's keeping their their chins up and and their hope alive. And I hope you have a fantastic weekend and you get some nice rest. And and we're back at it next week. And I'll talk to you then. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. I really appreciate you. Bye-bye.